Welcome to Coffee and Commerce, the podcast where you'll hear me, Sarah Jones, have conversations with real-life e-commerce business owners. People who have a story to share about how they set up and how they run their online stores. Normal people. People like you and me. Let's dive in. I'm talking to David Tovey of Montes. With a background in business administration, finance and IT and aged in his mid-50s, David decided it was time to set out on his own. He opened Montes, a retail shop for loose leaf tea in 2012. The business has adapted and evolved over the years and has sold enough loose leaf tea and herbal infusions to make over two million cups of tea. Hi, David. Good morning to you. Pleasure to be here and thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for coming. Would you like to just start off, as we always do, by telling us a little bit more about your story, you know, how you decided to start a tea shop? Yes, certainly. I have always been around business for all of the employment that I've had. And from a young age, always felt that owning my own business was a challenge that I really wanted to aim for. And having uh, fallen into working for a firm of chartered accountants initially from school, because I was I enjoyed maths, I was good at maths, so it sort of went into that line. But having discovered that I really didn't want to study anymore once I'd left school, and although I was doing professional exams or studying for professional exams, I was lucky enough after a couple of years to be approached by a company in industry to join their finance team in this national company, where I could work my way up into the company uh, as it was laid out to me. And I felt that it was a slightly better route for me to take on at that time. So I worked for that company for roughly 15 years and became general manager of administration. I sidestepped into IT because I had an interest in that. They needed to computerize the company. What they had invested in really didn't work already. The person who was supervising the situation left to start a family. So I was sort of a natural, oh, well, you can do it because you you know something a little bit about, you know, IT. And I'd been writing some computer programs for the managing director to help him make calculations on price lists. So I, I seemed to be the natural candidate. There was no training involved. It really was just sort of learn on the job. Yeah. And after uh, quite a long time, we uh, invested uh, at that time over half a million pounds in, in equipment. It went very well, it was successful. But I felt that having worked my way up in the company, there was something missing and whilst I hadn't gone on to uni when I left school I needed to for my own purposes I think uh, qualify at something higher Mm. so I decided to leave in my mid-30s and do a business management degree many people said that I was very brave leaving a very successful job and I I was certainly very grateful to the heights that I had got that was non-director and then other people said I was mad uh, which means that the people who said I was brave also thought I was mad they just didn't really want to say it Uh, so I financed myself for four years at the time I had been um, dating somebody who was a manager of a little chef She wanted to get some sort of qualification. And I happened to notice the College of Food in Birmingham, as it was then, 
was doing a course and I said look why don't why don't I'll come with you they've got an open day I'll come with you and it'll be you know it could be the ideal thing for you so they explained various things about the courses the opportunities part of it would be a four-year course in which he could uh, work abroad uh, America was mentioned uh, the Mediterranean was mentioned and many other places and I just sort of sat at the end of it thinking I want to do this. This this is great. You know, it's a business management degree. I could work out in industry, work abroad. Fantastic. So after a couple of years, continuing the project that I was involved in, carried on with that until it, it, the situation got live, left this job, went to work, uh, went to study full time for this degree. In the meantime, she and I had split up. Uh, and really look forward to to working abroad in the Mediterranean for a year or America even that would have been fantastic and I managed to get uh, because I was a mature student unlike the 20 year olds that were mostly doing the course um, I managed to get an upmarket pub just out Stratford so that was an hour's drive then from where I lived Uh, and I did that for nine months the last three months I worked at a Copthorne hotel that was only 20 minutes away from where I lived. So my international hopes were sort of mm, dashed slightly. And I came away from doing this business management degree uh, very successfully, very pleased with it. Uh, glad that I, for the first time in my life, I'd actually have had a personal business plan of, mm-hmm. yes, I wanted to get this degree. I wanted to experience if I could teaching or lecturing, uh, but I also wanted to experience selling. And during my placement, I came across a couple of people who offered me the opportunities to do that. A, in the college, I went back to the college to do workshops in IT for some of the students as they were aware of my background. And then later on, I went out to sell websites where I had to effectively go in cold and was expected to come away with a check uh, in hand and discovered very quickly that I enjoyed lecturing. Uh, Because of that, I went on to do a post-degree course, a post-degree diploma in computing science. Uh, But I also uh, found that the selling was was great. But six months, I wouldn't have been able to survive any longer financially. Mm. Um, And at that time, I was lucky that somebody approached me that I had worked before. Uh, I worked for a couple of years as a software project manager. And then after that, I joined another company because they wanted to set up administrative systems and IT systems for a small business that they were about to to buy so that they could expand their company. So I then spent another few years doing that, had put all that in place for them. I was co-director of that business uh, and decided that, no, I, I needed a challenge for myself. And one day I went to a cafe in Birmingham city center where I was then living, decided that I was fed up with coffee because I was drinking that all day. I'd have tea. And they actually served me um, real loose leaf tea that was poured into a glass cup and saucer. And quite literally I had a tea experience and thought, Oh yeah, I really missed tea. I did used to enjoy it. uh, You know, and um, I remember the days when we had loose leaf tea at home, I'll go and buy some. Couldn't find any decent loose leaf tea at all in the supermarkets that were near me, no matter what brand it was. Uh, And I thought, Oh, I'll look online. And one evening I was browsing through the internet, could not really see that there was much there at all. And all of a sudden, the light bulb moment happened and it was, oh, let me just look at this from another angle. Let me sort of see that if I'm approaching this from a business idea, because I knew I didn't want to go into finance uh, running my own business. I knew I didn't want to go into IT running my own business because they were fought with too many dangers. But I had learned being out in industry, this element of bite in bulk, put it into smaller packets or smaller parcels uh, and then sell it out that way. And I also knew that, 
going out cold calling wasn't my form of selling, but maybe I had enough about me to present myself in front of people in the shop. I had worked in a record shop when I was in my late teens. Uh, I had done other things. I'd had to, uh, as a project manager, had to chair meetings and uh, guide the project team to a certain direction. Uh, And I have to admit, I did have to be very careful when... Knowing I would be using a flip chart and a felted pen, I had to be very careful to keep it succinct and to the point because I did have a habit of sort of you know going off on a tangent. Mm-hmm. And and so public speaking was was not a problem to me. Um, I got involved with a, a, a fab club, PHAB, physically handicapped and able-bodied as treasurer. So at 22, I had to, one of the occasions, go and accept a donation on behalf of the club. And there were 500 people in the room. The local mayor was there. And whilst I hadn't necessarily prepared a speech, uh, I knew what points, bullet points I needed to cover. And I had about five to 10 minutes to do it. So, and it was, you know, got it done. But I had a lot of people come up to me and say, that was amazing. You just, you just sucked in. And I'm not blowing my own trumpet. It was sort of, well, okay, maybe being in front of people in a shop is what I can do. And so there wasn't the trepidation there, but I needed to do lots of other research. And that led me to start looking at places and venues. Where would I get the stock from looking for suppliers, potential suppliers? And I, it got to a point where I had a step back part-time to do a lot of research. Uh, and I was able to do that with the, the last company I was with. I knew that my life was going in a slightly different direction. I think I was on my third midlife crisis in my mid-50s. And I saw an option to go to a World Tea Conference that was in America, in Las Vegas, of all places. didn't even know there was such a thing as a World Tea Conference. Absolutely. And there are similar ones in Europe, although they are combined with coffee. So it's a tea and coffee conference or exhibition. And I decided I would make the commitment. You know, I I needed to sort of do more research. It was a good thing to do. And I had already got the concept of what the shop would be like. I hadn't even looked for business premises, but I had this idea of how I wanted to look inside, what it would be. It would have to be tea. And what I then sort of uh, isolated in terms of being tea paraphernalia, so teapots, filters, books maybe, tea cozies, that sort of thing. Went off to Las Vegas, landed there on a Thursday afternoon in July. Had never been somewhere so hot in my life. Walked out the airport, my eyes watered, I couldn't see, so I had to go back into the airport. I then came out and sort of handheld against the wall to get to the taxi rank. Uh, got into my hotel, went for a walk um, just to sort of locate. I was fairly near the exhibition centre. And uh, there was a shopping mall opposite the hotel that had got a business that caught my name. I just saw the name. It's called Tivana. And I walked in and it was, holy moly, this is my business idea. They've got my business idea. And it was a shop that was retail selling loose leaf tea and herb infusions and teapots and all manner of, of things tea related. And it was, well, it can be done. You know, I'm not going bonkers. It can be done if they can do it. The fact that Tivana um, was bought out about a year later by um, Starbucks for, I think, something like $256 million, you know, so it wasn't quite the small. And I keep saying to this day, nine years later, you know, if Starbucks want to buy me out for a couple of mil, that's that's fine by me. <laughs> um, so I came back very inspired. And I also bought lots of things as, as ideas and samples and information about where I could buy stock in from whatever. And uh, I continued my research. I found some premises, an ideal uh, property. Mm-hmm 
seat in Monmouth. Unfortunately, the owners who were in Australia didn't think my business idea was very good. So they rented the property out to a lady who just did gifts. Um, but five months later, the estate agents got on to me and said, well, actually, this lady that's in there is a tenant. If you'd like to take up her tenancy, she can't make it doing what she's doing. So, you know, this is an easy sort of quick sort of get out. And the owners have said that they would either rent it to you under the same terms or if you wanted to, you could buy it. So I then raised what I could in order to buy the property that I am now in. I had a meeting with the bank, regional manager and a local assistant, and I'm sitting there facing this gentleman and uh, a lady to his right. I've got a bag on the seat beside me and I'm pulling out things. And eventually I'm sort of saying, of course, it's not just about all teas. And a lot of these teas are really high quality and high grade. And, you know, Darjeeling's are like the champagne of teas. And I got a teapot, not quite like this. I'm holding a, a cast iron uh, teapot, but it was a, a ceramic teapot that was made in Japan. And it was about twice the size of this. The color was blue with a handle on the side and it was called a satin teapot. And the blue was sort of slightly speckled with, with uh, uh, bits that you could only sort of see if you were up close. And it was like Denby blue. And as I'm sitting there in front of him and my left from, you know, the left hand side of the teapot to the right hand side of the teapot, I'm stroking it and saying, this is like the Porsche of teapots. This will sell out for about 55 to 65 pounds for a teapot. And I could almost see his eyes widen and light up and Porsche. That's a really expensive German sophisticated car. Um, so I continued the process of explaining what my business plan uh, was. He initially started the conversation by sort of saying, well, uh, we're not lending to cafes or pubs or anything like that. You know, th this isn't anything like that. Now, my business name at the time had been uh, Cafe Tea because I wanted to, with this premises, try and open up a tea school in the back garden. Mm. And so I, uh, the working title was Montes, and I sort of just said, no, no, it's Montes. You know, it's all, it's in Monmouth. It's all about teas. This is it. And effectively, that's where it, it, it started. They sort of said, yes, we like the idea. We like your business plan. I think my background in in IT and finance was able to produce spreadsheets that mm. was showing them, if I may say, what they wanted to hear yeah. or wanted to read. Yeah, I'm not saying it was pinpoint accurate uh but i think how can you you know my experience is it doesn't matter what you try and project for uh, it's, that's a very difficult art uh, to come up oh, with yeah. certainly when you're starting a business yeah. Yeah. um and it doesn't matter what research you do i i spent time sitting in the cafes here drinking <laughs> drinking coffee and tea <laughs> and noticing how many people were buying uh, coffee how many people were buying tea I had a gut feeling uh, that it was a right thing to do and I had got the wherewithal to do it and if I didn't do it it would be like regretting it and after mm -hmm. 12 months if I didn't think it was something viable then I could always move on and do something else at least I had bought a property that I could rent out yeah. that would be sufficient rent I know to sort of keep me going on to onto something else. Mm. So it's I mean I think most of the people are obviously that this is a a podcast predominantly about e-commerce and yeah. I talk to mostly businesses that some have a shop as well as an online presence but yes. for most it, the the to, to I, I just feel that you just to go and buy a shop most people just rent a shop you know and just find somewhere small to start with but it's like wow just to kind of buy a shop and 
start off. But as you say, that's a, a good long term business strategy anyway, I guess. So you've got the shop, you open your shop. At what point does the online side of things come in? Did you go from the very beginning, like I need to open a shop and I need to have a website and sell online? Or is was the selling online something that kind of came later as you went once the shop itself was established? It came, it came slightly later. Uh, as soon as I could, I opened up and I found a host and software that I could create my own website. In doing the postgraduate uh, course, part of that was in computing science was to actually create a website. So I was familiar with, with what I I needed to do uh, I found a host so at least from fairly early on after opening I had a home page a couple of pages that people could refer to uh, and at least if they were searching on the internet find me but I found that when I wanted to trade online which I did from 2014 so by that time I'd been open uh, roughly uh, a year and a quarter before I instigated it and then it finally went live in about September of 2014 I decided that when you are running your own business, you do have to do everything, particularly as a one-man band. You know, I've worked for companies that had purchasing departments, IT departments, sales departments, marketing departments, uh, whereas I was doing everything. And investigating the time and learning the new skills or new software to actually be on top of e-commerce at that time was, let's look at having someone else do that. And at that time, a customer of mine uh, got talking to me and happened to sort of say, unfortunately for him, that, yeah, he did websites amongst many other things, bit of an entrepreneur himself. And it was, uh, well, they said, well, I'd love to do that for you. You know, you're, well, yeah, okay, yeah, well, it'll be, yes, and yes, okay, I'll charge you and I'll budget you and whatever. He was exceedingly good. I think he gave me an exceedingly good price. Uh, we're now on the second vamping. Um, he went through all the various options. He'd done this sort of thing before. Uh, and uh, we went for open cards. That was his recommendation. And that's the platform that I, I use now. Uh, it has recently been upgraded because the software was getting a little bit old for what I needed. Uh, and I needed to move into other elements. I needed to get into blogging. I needed to sort of uplift my um, social media presence. But my belief that, yes, I have a physical shop, but I, I had learned that I was picking up, um, if like business from people that were passing by and then would go home and then would want something. So I was getting people on the phone. So the sooner I, I, I got onto uh, selling online, uh, the more important it would be to reinforce the business. I also, in buying the business, I need businesses to, to actually stock. So even if you're selling online, yes, OK, you can do certain things from home. Uh, my home was in, in was actually in Birmingham. I was renting that out for um, short to long term. Uh, I had a temporary home in Monmouth. So again, it came back to, well, I've got land at the back. I've got the business premises. It's big enough to have a, a part as the shop, but part as, as a storage area. Uh, I'm going to need that for the online business and for that to grow. Uh, so it all sort of came together with, right, I've now got to get something that people can buy online. My core business, my core function is no longer IT and it's no longer dabbling with business finance. I need to get someone who knows what they're doing, who has the time. And I know there will be a professional solution to 
And I know now there are pieces of software that, yes, you know, it's almost like oven ready yeah. in terms of you go to this company or that company, whatever. But at the time, um, I wanted something more bespoke. I think I had got my hands on the throttle of the business too tightly. And I really wanted something fairly specific in my idea. And it was a learning process to actually let go slightly and say, no, I have moved this to one side. I've accepted that I've got to concentrate on doing the shop getting the tea into bags, buying the tea and all sorts of other things that, you know, take up running a business. But I needed to leave that mm. to somebody else. And a great job was done. I was having a lot of people, therefore, coming in by trade, buying stuff, going away. And I supply up and down the UK from the, the, from the top end of Scotland uh, to the bottom end of Cornwall. And so I sell to the whole of the UK. I've even sent uh, tea out to customers in, in Germany, to the Mediterranean and to America. And that's only because of the website that I've got. At the end of 2017 and the beginning of 2018, that Christmas of 2017, I had two inquiries from two different people that mentioned, is my, is my packaging plastic free? And over the Christmas period, I... I got back to these people and sort of said, well, no, it's not at the moment, but I can certainly do plastic-free packaging for you. And uh, over the Christmas period, I made the decision that in the start of January, reopening in January 2018, I would go plastic-free. I was at a point in time that of the bags that I use to put loose leaf tea into. This is a brown craft paper bag. And uh, previously they were lined with plastic so that I would heat seal them. I had got to a point where I'd be reordering some more of those fairly soon, but decided I would run those out, but I would go plastic free. And I had to search far and wild to find the supplier that I now use, which is just greaseproof paper lined and I, manually fold them and seal them with a brown paper sticky tape um, in order to not be using plastic and I use no plastic on the um, outgoing packaging at all. What are the challenges with that then because obviously you have challenges that other retailers don't have in as much as you have products with sell by dates you have to keep things fresh you have to you know so I'm assuming that with packaging that that's a big challenge. It is to a certain extent, but it, it's a dried food product and providing that the contents are kept dry and cool, either that they don't sweat, they're not in a direct sunlight or, or that they're not in too cold an environment that when they come into a warm environment, uh, basically condensation will form sort of sweat inside the bag. Uh, then that's OK. I have found that there is a shelf life that legally I need to put on the bags that is well within the time that they sell. Mm. This past pandemic, I have had to write off a lot of value of stock. Bags were made up or, or my supply bags were already open and they were just open too long for me to feel comfortable. But in terms of not bagging or uh, filling the shelves with all one tea, um, I would do it throughout the day and throughout the week as to, well, when I need to put another bag of that on that shelf, then I'll do it. So I could limit the amount of time that the bags are actually sitting on there. Right. The bigger consideration for me, though, was actually just before I, I start that, I'll, I'll go to when I now buy in from my supplier, some of my suppliers will provide me with tea that before I open their bag, it has a two year shelf life. Right. Some of my teas 
sell far more quickly than two years, considerable. However, there are other suppliers that provide me with tea that before I open their bag, it has a 10 or 20 or 30 year shelf life on it. So I can buy in bulk better, providing I know that that tea turns over quickly. And as time has gone on and with the spreadsheets that I have, I know which of my 90 plus teas and uh, two dozen plus herbal infusions, I know how quickly they sell because of how quickly I've been replacing the stock in the past. Um, And once I open these bags, I have therefore, because of a longer shelf life, I have at least uh, a two-year shelf life before they will start to sort of go. In theory, some of them, it's only 12 months. But again, by juggling that has been easy enough to know what, what bags I am opening to put out on the shelves or what I'm going to hold back until I get a cut. I might yeah. run out of tea on a shelf and then I'm not going to open my supplies bag until somebody comes in and asks me for it and it'll be just bear with them a second. I'll just do this for you. Yeah. So I, at the moment dealing with this, I will have bags ready to be filled on the shelves to reduce the time, um, but will then go and wait. Yeah. And the more difficult bit of the bagging has actually been the supplier within the UK that provided me with these craft bags that were plastic lined had no ability to produce the same bags non-plastic. So I then had to go searching for a company that would do that. And unfortunately, at that time, the only company I could find was one in mainland Europe. Right. OK. Presumably, you say at that time, presumably now there is one that you have got in the UK that could do that. No, because I haven't found one that can compete with the price of what I'm getting out of mainland Europe. But, but you know, anybody that does a step analysis or, hmm. or, or whatever you want, you know, the additional letters that you can put onto that. Um, it, it was the, if you like, the will of the people, that, that influence on my business that I also wanted to do and, and went through here, really, um, even going back to my suppliers saying, you're using bubble wrap, could you not do this? Can you use brown paper, uh, which they are doing? There are some suppliers that have come back to me and sort of said, well, actually, ultimately, that comes out of um, an Eastern country. And we, we've asked them not to use bubble wrap, but, you know, that's... Yeah. China or Japan, yeah. and you know, we can't really do anything like that. Um, but it, it has been, if you like, an environmental influence on the business that has been very successful. Because at the start of January 2018, when I was publicizing that I was going plastic free, two people who commented on a national uh, Facebook group for zero waste mentioned my business. And for the first three months of uh, 2018, my internet sales increased. And I'm sure you'd like to know by how much they increased. Go on then. 93%. Wow, that's impressive. To me was sort of, this is awesome. And since that time, the extra people that I have acquired through internet sales because of that have also helped me through the pandemic. Mm. So although the uh, uh, Brexit and the pandemic have been downsides to what goes on globally in, in when you're assessing the, uh, the aspects of what's going to affect the business, oddly, the environmental issue of, of plastic became such a valuable point to the business uh, and it felt right for me. I'm glad I, I listened to it and went with it uh, because it stood me in good stead for 
political decisions that have affected the business like Brexit and, and other issues generally that have, have affected humanity through the pandemic. Yeah, and it just goes to show the importance of always being aware and listening to what your customers are feeding back to you. Absolutely. Because you could have just gone, you should have just said, well, no, I'm sorry, but I can't get any, I can't get bags that aren't plastic free. And that was the end of it. But you're open to listening and exploring the idea. And it's ultimately benefited you, hasn't it? Yeah. And there, there have been many instances where people have come in and um, have brought me uh, a packet of tea that says, well, I, I bought this when I was out in China. Um, it's only got Chinese lettering on it. Um, I really, really like it. Could you get so, you know, do you know what it is? Could you get some more? Uh, and one instance was a lady who didn't do the internet, but she bought me a box in and it was from basically the Japan area. And uh, all that was on, on this box was uh, the picture of, of the leaf and, and a cup, a, a bowl bite, whatever, and all sort of Japanese writing on it. Um, but there was a phone number. And I think one of the skills that people need is to, apart from thinking outside the box, is to be a problem solver. When you're running a business, you are going to have issues coming across the whole time and to be a problem solver. And to me, the phone number was, let's just Google it yeah. and see. And you would not believe I came up with the phone number uh, linked to a business in Japan. And lo and behold, they had got a website that I was able to order from and get this tea in for this lady. I mean, that's that's one of the more outstanding yeah. sort of elements. But by listening to to her and, and I get other people who are coming in and sort of say, one lady uh, kept coming in and sort of saying, uh, I've been out to France and they do an, a type of Earl Grey there that's that's really amazing. And it's Russian, Russian something. Uh, uh, I'm not too sure what it's got in, but it's really, really nice. Uh, about uh, seven or eight months later, my supplier in the UK phoned me up and sort of said, are you still looking for this Earl Grey that, that you know, that your customers sort of found in France? And I said, yes, I am. She said, we've got some. Would you like a sample? Yeah, send it down to me. Uh, that was several years ago, uh, or at least five or six years ago, sorry. And um, it's one of my mm. biggest sellers now. It's Earl Grey. Um, I call it Russian Imperial. It has the bergamot in it traditionally, but it's also got orange peel and lemongrass in it. And it's one of my biggest sellers. So if I hadn't been open to, yeah, okay, tell me, you know, I like it. As I say, I like a challenge. I can regret saying that, but I like a challenge. That yes, there are probably now about at least a dozen different products that I sell in the shop now. The customers have come to me and sort of said, "Could you get this? Could you get that? Are you able to find this?" Um, and they've been good sellers. And they and it's not only given you a new product that's turned into a good seller, but you've those customers are now, I would imagine, yes. real ambassadors for your business. Because if anybody ever exactly. talks about any kind of tea, they're going to be, like, oh my goodness me you need to go and talk to David at Monty's or you need to call him or whatever. He Absolutely. can help you. And then that the word of mouth is just priceless, isn't it? That how that spreads the word. Absolutely. Totally. I've never, I think from previous experience, I've, I've uh, picked up that really paying for advertising, it's not a friend to me at all. It's a business expense that I can ill afford being as a micro business. Uh, and you never know where it's, it's going to get you. And I think mostly it gets you nowhere. I decided initially to be patient, don't be greedy. That was hopefully my philosophy. Um, I was at an age where if I'd have been 30 years younger, I'd have probably mm. been more ego and pushing and rushing to get sort of further sooner. 
Um, but it was important to me that customer service had got to be the ultimate and trying to help people and to listen to people as to what they wanted. So when people came in and by when I first opened, I'd only got 24 different teas. I have a shop furniture shelving that I actually got from Ikea. They are uh, units of um, 16 squares. Uh, the bottom of four squares are empty. I can see them behind you. I've got one downstairs. Uh, well, I've got I've got five of those in the shop as well as two other sh- shelving units. So it's a bit sparse. But people would come in and sort of say to me, oh, well, I'm a black tea drinker. Uh, um, uh, what could you suggest? You've got a lot of teas here. I don't know where to start. So like in early days of having to explain bits of IT to non-IT people, I just quickly came up with, do you drink wine? And if so, are you more red or white? Well, if you're white, I'm going to guide you to either Sri Lankan teas or to Darjeeling's. If you're a red wine drinker, I'm going to guide you more to Assam's. And within this range of six Assam's that I've got, sorry, five Assam's that I've got, do you take milk or not? If you take milk, I'm going to limit it down to these three. And are you more Cabernet Sauvignon red or Shiraz red? Right, okay, well, I can guide you further. And the number of people that have actually come back to me and said, you did that wine thing thing with me on, on, on the tea. I can't remember the name of the tea, but I'm a red wine drinker and I like Shiraz. All right, okay. Well, it was probably, does this name ring a bell? Yeah, it does. In doing that, the relationship that I have with my customers or, or creating a relationship with customers is one that they remember. And if they've been here, but they live farther afield, they'll either phone me or they'll order online. But I get many people who, who come in like that. And A lot of, if I may say, not being a sexist, a lot of the ladies will sort of smile instantly and either think I'm their doctor. Oh, well, I may only have one or two a week. Uh, Or they just sort of giggle with their friends. Well, I have been known to have the odd one or two. And it just creates this wonderful rapport that we have. Uh, And I can guide it down and they go away with something that is a little bit more pertinent to them. So I've been able to make it relatable. Some people will sort of say, no, I don't drink wine, but I do like a whiskey. Ah, so you like the malt element of of whiskey. So, right, again, I'm going to pitch you to an Assam rather than something else. Um, And it's been... Yeah, I'm I'm going to interrupt you here then because I'm going to give you a challenge now (laughs) because I love tea. I am a teaaholic. I get through, I don't know, 10 cups a day, tea a day, easily. Okay. But I'm a builder's tea girl okay. and I can only have decaf. I can't have cough caffeine anymore. I can't tolerate caffeine. Okay. Anymore. So I, the Roybosh, can't stand Roybosh. Okay. Um, so, but, you know, I was on your website looking, thinking, well, I'd love to buy some of these, tea, but I, I wouldn't know where to start. Okay. And because I have to have it decaffeinated, I'm stuck. Okay, so of the decaf options, uh, I'm going to suggest from from what you've sort of said, uh, I've got a decaffeinated Irish breakfast tea blend and the decaffeination process a long time ago, apparently way before I started, they used to sort of use lots of nasty, horrible chemicals. I've been told that. Yeah. Yeah. Or I probably shouldn't describe them as nasty and horrible, but it was chemicals. Now what they do is that they flush the tea through with CO2, carbon dioxide. So it's something that we, we exhale. So you could sort of say it's, it's more natural, but it keeps the integrity of belief more so uh, and the flavor more so. It does, however, make the leaves sort of shrink slightly. The Irish breakfast tea blend that's decaffeinated, it is a type of leaf styles 
that is very small. And some of them are what's called a, a grade of broken orange pico. Orange pico just means that it is the first whole leaf below the unopened bud okay. at the end of a, of a tea bush. And they deliberately break the leaf so that the edges, the enzymes come out and it adds a bit more biting edginess. The Irish breakfast tea blend is really quite small shriveled. It's not dust, but it is quite small, which means that not a heat teaspoon because it will be more compact on the teaspoon, uh, a lightly heat teaspoon, and it's going to brew very quickly. So you may well find even after only a minute or a minute and a half, you've actually got quite a robust brew and that is decaffeinated. The other option, a little bit more up in the level of, okay, this is a quality of leaf that you can certainly drink without milk. Uh, and that would be the Assam. The Assam is a top grade of tea. It's called a TGFOP. And for non-Chinese, non-Japanese teas, there is this grading system. And a TGFOP means it's a tippy, golden, flowery, orange pico. And they're picking the uppermost two leaves in the bud. And that's where the best quality of leaf comes from. Um, so a, a decaf Assam would be good enough to drink without milk. However, if you wanted milk with it, it's not going to be the end of the world. Um, but I would certainly sort of say go for the Irish breakfast tea blend. Um, and if you want to email me with an address, I'll just send you some. Well, I'm not very far from you. Hannah and I will have to come over and um, oh yes, okay, and come and visit you um, now that things are opening up. Thank goodness. Yeah, I keep remembering to, if I may insert before I do finally forget it, because I know I didn't write it down. I have not necessarily been sure of myself through this whole process. And things have occurred that have really dented that. I'm not going to labor on this next point, but one of the reasons why I started to do this was that I needed to manage my mental health in uh, in doing something. I have always been sort of questioning what I'm doing and am I doing the right sort of thing? And I'm single. So, you know, you don't necessarily have somebody to bounce ideas mm. off. And I know in talking to friends, it's sort of, well, I need to shut up now because they're thinking all I can talk about is the business. And, and I think I can talk about yeah. other things. And I happened to notice that on one Sunday morning a few years ago, was a talk about uh, the changing high street and one of these Sunday morning programs. And I recorded it to make sure that I didn't miss it. Because at that time we were going through the rape and pillage of high street shops and the yeah. business rates. And it was going to be affecting me. And it was, this, this is, as a micro business, this is really bad news. So there were two guys on there. One guy, uh, they were both, both about the same age, either late twenties or very early thirties. One was adamant that no, the high street is dead, you know, give up, just turn them into residences. The other was, no, the, the high street isn't dead. There are some businesses that are going to just move on to the internet, that they're not going to survive with having shops. But really and truly, and I, I was gripped by this, this guy, but really and truly, uh, if you've got a business on, on the main high street, you need to take on the opportunity of the internet. You need to uh, wrap it around almost and mingle it into your, your business. But equally, you need to up the, if you like, the sales experience, the shopping experience yeah. of people getting to the shop. And whilst I have tried to come up with, you know, the whole sort of focus of what this business is all about, and I've the, the term has gone through my head, unique selling point. There you go. Yeah. To come Unfortunately, I keep coming back to that. Well, there's a lot of personality that goes into trying to help people, you know, conversations about wine or, well, OK, yeah, well, let me just do this. Look, this is just a 25 gram bag. Why don't you 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 bought that? Have this as a free sample off me and see how you get on. I don't like recommending something, you know. And so 
this guy that, that came from an organization called SaveTheHighStreet.org was just awesome. I went on their web, website. I, I said yes to their newsletter. And at the start of last year, before the pandemic, they were doing this trial of a certain number of businesses that we'll, we'll work with. And I, I listened and, and joined in with some of their podcasts and, and whatever. And it was if anything, a lot of stuff was reassuring me that the decisions I had made to grasp the internet was right. So, you know, you don't want to be uh, steamrolling down a line thinking that you're right, but it's actually taking your business in the wrong way because you're mm -hmm. wasting money. And it, yes, you know, you will make mistakes and, and you can get over them. Uh, but there is, the, for me, there was something about needing to have my decisions just sort of checked so to listen to an organization like that and to listen to other business people via that that were in retail the local chamber of commerce here is fantastic and there were one or two other shop holders there but mostly a lot of different types of businesses and i didn't feel as though i could sort of necessarily go through things in quite the same way um but th that was a a real big thing for me to get it sort of um, rubber stamped as to be, yeah, I'm not going mad. Yeah, that is right. And I could disagree with some of them. You know, there was one mm. talk about how you do your shop window. And I thought, do you know what? I've got an example that is totally the opposite to that. And it was brilliant. Um, but then again, well, I am reassuring. And, ah, oh, yeah, I haven't done that. I, right, okay, yeah, well, of course I did that. And this doesn't work. Yeah, you've, that's such an important part. And I've talked about this with other people on the podcast as well, that, that there is that sense of real kind of, isolation as a business owner when it's just you in the business and sometimes yeah. you can you you think in your head that it's you've had the most brilliant idea and it's like yeah that's absolutely brilliant and then that yeah. little voice starts to pop in that goes yeah but is it really is yeah. it like really and you just need to have somebody yeah. sometimes that will just be that sounding board uh, and it's so so important I think yeah. to make us feel a little yeah a little less isolated and reassures us doesn't it that we're kind of on the right path when you've physically yeah. spoken the words sometimes i can hear the words coming out differently yeah. and it's sort of yeah that's a really definite no right i'll skip that won't do that you know i talk to i don't know about you but i just talk to myself <laughs> sometimes and i literally just stand in front of my whiteboard and just actually write on it and i'm jabbering out loud and just chatting if anybody could hear me you think i was bonkers or i'll talk to yes, the dog or something yeah, yeah, yeah. um and, but that's you just need to do that sometimes to just get things out of your head and stop them from yeah running around and the whiteboards yeah. i mean I've, I've got two whiteboards and there's been items on there for the last couple of years that i've thought not quite right maybe you know not too sure not yet and I was looking at it only a couple of nights ago thinking, yeah, that's I need to cross that off because that's not appropriate now. And maybe I can replace it with this or maybe well, that one. Well, I haven't got to that point yet. Maybe well, we'll see how that goes. Yeah. You know, there, there's um, I'm not saying I'm in survival mode at the moment, but I'm very much aware that I've been lucky enough to survive the pandemic. Uh, and the business rates, the internet is still going strong, but I, I feel as though, well, you're only as good as yesterday's takings. Yeah. Anything could happen still. Footfall is so low. I'm, I'm only open Tuesday to Friday mornings. I'm open Saturday morning and Saturday afternoon, uh, partly because I haven't got the footfall. I know there isn't enough footfall in the afternoons. As it increases, I might open more. But I've got a plan for doing something else in the afternoons when 
people can come and come into the shop like tea talks. Um, but also I mentally couldn't cope with waiting for nobody to come yeah. in. Uh, I had to make the decision of right customers, you know, that are local that are coming in, they will be aware that I'm here mornings and I'm here all day Saturday. Let's fit it into that. And I can go and busy myself, uh, you know, by a local delivery and doing other things to keep me busy rather than sitting in this environment thinking, well, you know, what am I doing? Yeah. Yeah. There's always jobs to do, but sometimes like when I'm doing a laptop work, it's a case of, no, I'm going to do it in a different environment that has more energy in it than, than an empty shop with nobody coming in. Yes. Something. Yeah. yeah. Um, quick question that I'm just curious. What's the kind of proportion of internet sales versus retail sales? And I know that's going to be different, presumably over the last year than it would normally be. But do you have, do you know, and I'm sure you're an accountant, I'm sure you know. <laughs> Yes, I am just looking. Okay, so uh, the last year, my internet sales now on average represent 55% of the business. Uh, Some months it goes up to as high as 76%. Uh, The graphs I've got going back to when I opened in 2012 are so random month by month in terms of they do follow a genuine grouped trend throughout the year. So there are some months that, yes, it does drop down uh, quite considerably um parts of the summer months tend to be low but to think that i'm now working on you know 55 percent of, of the turnover is, is internet sales compared to uh it settled down after i went plastic free so to a certain extent before the pandemic uh it was internet sales represented around about 20 percent of my business and 80 percent was what came through the door so there's been a real up down shifts that's what you'd expect to see with the pandemic and everything and hopefully in the coming months now and coming months and years that internet side is going to continue to grow so that you can reach that broader audience because this yeah there's so many of us out here who we just get our yorkshire tea decaf when actually (laughs) i I, when we were kids we had i can remember having loose leaf tea and making we all you know it was just because that's what you did because Yes, bags didn't absolutely. come in until I don't know, is it seventies? I don't know. And yeah, we become lazy because we can grab a tea bag, chuck it in the cup, give it a swirl, boom, and it's done. You've made me realise that I need to embrace and and look at loose leaf tea again. And actually, maybe I'll probably enjoy my tea a bit more because it's something a bit more special, then, isn't it? And it should well, it will taste better as well, I presume. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the feedback that I have is is that, yes, you know, people have been coming in ever since the uh, start of 2018, have been coming back and saying, uh, we went out for afternoon tea at such and such a place. It was real loose leaf tea. We couldn't believe how much better it was than the stuff we drink at home in bags. I never publicised the issue of plastic in tea bags. It's a bit like listening to politicians who will run down the other side as opposed to saying what they're good at. Uh, I never felt that was how I wanted to promote the business. Um, but ever since that, you know, I've had leaflets in the shop that just explaining. And people have been reading this and coming to the council and sort of saying, I now understand why when I'm you know dismantling the compost heap why all these bags are still there why they haven't decomposed you know because there's plastic in them etc um and that's been good to reinforce the message that's been going out uh, publicly and I don't think there's any harm in that of sort of making and um slowly finding that people want uh, larger and larger bags so there are now quite a few 
items on the website that I um, only the other day was um, for a customer had left a message, couldn't quite take the phone call at the time, sort of said, look, I want to buy this, but, you know, um, do you have any other larger bags than the 125 gram bag? So now they can buy that in 250 grams or 500 grams. And that's sort of, well, really, really good. And uh, I have a lot of very regular customers. So it reinforces that the quality of the product that I am selling is up to par. And my way forward really is to, yeah, continue surviving, but to keep an eye on the future of how it can expand through the internet. And I'd love to be able to stock enough to really sell uh, some of the teapots, mm. etc., cetera, um, online. But it's horses for courses and cash flow is a limiter. And uh, being a micro business, you know, no sooner do you take one step forward, then you find that, well, part of the cash flow that you thought you might be getting is actually going to go and paying your tax yeah. bill. It's a, it's a bit of a vicious circle. I think a lot of people can probably relate to that. And I'm sure it will it will continue to grow. And it's lovely to see somebody doing so well on the high street and giving that experience to customers. And as you mentioned earlier, it's about creating an experience in your shop to encourage people to want to come and talk to you, see the products, smell the products as well, I would imagine. Yes. Um, and yet, I'm sure as well that your online retail side will grow as well and to help you you know become more sustainable for the future that's going to be amazing thank you ever so much for taking the time to talk to me you're very welcome and i will link we'll link it's the website is montes.co.uk and i'll link to all of that in the show notes anyway so if anybody wants to go head over to the website and have a look and um, i'm assuming if they're not sure what tea to buy they just can just drop you a message through the website yes absolutely very very pleased to hear it very happy to to respond uh in whatever manner and uh, i tend to try and if i can respond as quickly as possible uh so yes i'd be very happy to help basically my old uh, motto of working was uh you know we aim to please well certainly in monty's uh, yes we definitely aim to please. Wonderful. Thanks ever so much for talking to you and good luck with it all. You're very welcome. Take- if you've enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you would leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help other people to discover the content. Don't forget to subscribe so that you get notified when we publish a new episode.